To all my heavy hitters and lockdown defenders, welcome to the Lockdown Defense Podcast, episode 37. I am your host, Coach Defense. The Lockdown Defense Podcast airs each and every Tuesday, 10 a.m., YouTube, Google Podcasts, Spotify, Anchor, wherever you get your podcast from. Check us out. Like, comment, subscribe as always. We appreciate your viewership. Episode 37, man. We appreciate everybody that's been loyal and hanging with us up to this point. And we are just getting started. We are not done. We are just getting started with this thing, man. It is going well, and we're doing big things. So check us out if you haven't already. In your car, doing the, doing your gym time, or while you're at work, not trying to listen to your boss. Whatever you want to do. But check us out. Check us out. We are here. Also, check out Sports Talk with Coach and Kurt uh, each and every Saturday. Twitch.tv forward slash Lockdown Diva Sports, 9 p.m. Eastern Standard Time, 6 p.m. Uh, Western Coast, West Coast Time, <laughs> out there in Cali. Uh, check us out as there as well. Uh, we go live each and every Saturday for that. Uh, replay for that goes live on YouTube at 11 a.m. on Mondays as well. So check that out if you haven't. Oh, man, it's two days. We're two days before the NFL draft, man. I can't wait. It should be a good, good week, man. Really good week. Uh, the draft is here. We got a nice three days. It's like it's almost like it's man week, <laughs> you know. Every time this week comes around, you got good, you know, hard hitting uh, basketball coming up, and you got the NFL draft for three whole days. You know, it's just magical time for you know as a sports fan, magical time for sports fans. So we're gonna get into high and heavy. As, as always, we're gonna recap this week. We're gonna talk about what's happening in the past week since we spoke to you last, and. Uh, we're going to get into the NBA first. We're going to get into Coach Diffus's high games. We're going to uh, underscore about, uh, about six or seven games we had, you know, lined up on a docket for the past week. We'll get into those. Uh, we're talking about the NBA content schedule and how uh, that's affecting the market right now. I want to talk about that. Uh, talk about the Nuggets again. I want to uh, give a status update on how they've been doing since Maul Murray went down. We'll talk about that. Uh, the Washington Wizards, man, uh, they are definitely playing inspired basketball right now. They're 8-2 in their last 10. So we'll recap that, and we'll talk about them briefly, how they can fare in the playoffs if they keep this hot streak going. Talk about Steph Curry, man. Steph Curry's on the, on the hot streak as well. His team is 73 in the last 10. And they have an outside chance of making the playoffs as, as of right now. They're in a play-in tournament. And can they make any noise uh, with their team currently constructed? We'll talk about that. And we'll get into our overall playoff, out, playoff outlook as well to show where everybody sits right now uh, as of today and where they would, who their matchup would be first round. Uh, then we get our player spotlights. We'll do our player spotlights real quick. We'll get into some uh, uh, outstanding players of the week. We'll talk about that. Uh, give a quick COVID update. We'll talk about that, and we'll definitely give some brief updates from that regard. Doing pretty well with that, so we'll get into that hot and heavy. And then we'll get into For the Record. That comes back this week. We got a couple of topics that we want to talk about in For the Record. We want to get into that. We want to not. I'm not going to spoil it. It's going to be a good one, though. Check out For the Record after the NBA segment. Then we get into NFL news. We'll talk NFL news, and we'll get into uh, – uh, Sean Lee retirement, Orlando Browns trade. We'll talk about Brett Favre. Uh, we'll do another put up a shut up for another quarterback that I feel like it's uh, go time for him. Uh, we'll talk about the 49ers as well. A lot of rumors about who they want to select at number three. And we'll talk about what we think uh, the 49ers are going to do and what they're doing. Uh, and then we'll get into our draft preparation. We'll get we'll review our mock draft 1 through 26, and then we'll uh, break out our picks from 27 to 32. So we'll give that news. Then we'll get into Lakers locker room. Uh, we'll give a recap of last week's games and uh, – a high AD fared in his, in his return in his limited minutes. Uh, KCP's update injury. Uh, LeBron's update injury. Uh, and when they can respect both of them back. Um, how are we going to look for the outlook for the next uh, 12 games? We've got 12 games left to play. And we'll talk about that. And we'll see how we're going to fare in regards to uh, the next 12 games leading to the playoffs. Uh, and then we'll spotlight our role players, right? And how we feel like that will help us. And it'll be a catalyst for us to repeat. And then we'll give our, uh, pre, I guess you could say, predictions for upcoming games. Then we'll get into our four-quarter closeout. 
We'll give out awards for Breakout Player of the Week, Lockdown Affinity Week, Big Dummy Week, and we got a big Black Exodus of the Week. We forgot it last week, so we're going to put it in uh, the show this week for sure. We'll give credit where credit's due for Black Excellence uh, this week, so we'll check that out. So let's get into who's in the news, man. Let's get it. So let's talk who's in the news. Let's start with the NBA. And I'm going to do a little bit different uh, segment and then different order this week. Uh, normally I do my uh, top high games for the week, but... um. I definitely want to talk about first and foremost the NBA as a brand. I think I've been going back and forth about COVID, uh, the condensed schedule, the quick restart, and I felt like it was a bad idea. Then it's one of those things where I really wouldn't wish I wasn't right, but I'm right. I feel like as a fan, uh, as a person that covers sports, you know, as a whole, I feel like we're getting cheated in a lot in a lot of regards. It's a lot of Really good games out here, but they're being mired by the idea of people not playing. Like, prime example, I come in uh, the house on uh, Saturday afternoon, and I'm looking forward to seeing the 76ers and Bucks go at it again. Now, they played, you know, back-to-back games. They weren't back-to-back in days, but back-to-back as in they played each other consecutively, obviously. So, you know, the first game was what it was. Uh, but I was looking forward for it, the whole entire team to be full stream, nobody missing. And, you know, Embiid being there, Giannis being there, Tobias, you name it. And I believe the first game that I think Tobias and Seth were out, but Embiid played, but it, the, the Bucks were full stream. Now, I turned the TV on, and I'm looking for Embiid. I'm looking for um, him on the court, and I don't see him. I'm like, why isn't that playing? It wasn't a literal back-to-back. It wasn't consecutive nights. It was consecutive games. Well, consecutive nights, he had a night off in between. I, I want to say Thursday to Saturday. He played Thursday, all Friday, and then he and still in Milwaukee, didn't leave, and he was not on the court on Saturday. And he, they panned to the sideline at some point, and he, uh, you know, he's getting his shoulder treated. I'm like, scratch my head. I'm like, why is he not playing? Now, I'm never one to doubt, you know, athletes. I'm athlete with myself in, in my previous days, and I understand why, you know, what it's like to be banged up. I understand what it's like to have injuries and necks and stuff like that and things of that nature. You know, a little bit different dynamic, a little bit different mindset, you know, back then in pro and college and, you know, any other level than it is now. But regardless, again, you're looking for certain people to be on the floor and you're looking for a really good game. I mean, it's a really good matchup. And, and, and your star players are not on the floor. And in, in both of these games, they didn't dictate what the game should have been because of people being out. Like I said, Tobias and Seth did night off before, you know, Seth had a brain injury. Tobias just didn't play. And then, you know, Embiid played, but Embiid didn't play the following Titan, the following game and Tobias played. So yet again, we didn't get a true depiction of what this matchup was going to be. And I hearkened that back to the idea of them restarting so fast, having this ridiculously condensed schedule because you really are looking at it as a watered down product. I mean, I'll be honest. It's a watered-down product. I don't get how they can honestly, truly, you know, feel like the ratings are good and money's good and the product is good because the product isn't. I, I'll be honest. I mean, you prime example last night. I was looking for the looking for the, the Clippers in the Pelicans game. No, no uh, Kawhi. And, uh, and if it, if it's not for injury, or just just take a personal days off in marquee matchups. It's not like you're taking nights off when you're playing the worst team in the league. You're not taking that night off. You're taking a night off when you have a primetime, nationally televised game. You're taking nights off. And, again, you know, people don't get to see these teams 
everybody doesn't get to see these teams every night. So when it comes to the idea of them playing national televised games, at least you would think they would put on a better effort, but it seems like everybody's low managing now for the playoffs. Now, and what's that going to mean for the playoffs? I mean, you have to have a certain level of stamina and you have to have be a certain level of being in shape when it gets to the playoffs. I mean, taking every other night off, especially when you just come back off injury in a B's case, it's not good. It's not a good look. Now, overall, I really feel like the regular season is just, it's watered down. It really is watered down at this point. I'm looking at matchups. I'm like, my last two weeks of hot games have really been not that hot. They've been lukewarm. <laughs> They've been mild. You know, we ain't just, we're not talking, you know, the hottest sauce in Buffalo Wild Wings. We're talking, you know, we're talking garlic parmesan. <laughs> this is definitely not habaneros, garlic parmesan. I'm not hot at all. Really, really not hot at all. So, and I, I, what can you really say? I mean, I literally was just depressed, you know, going through the scores and realize, realizing why these games are, the scores are where they are and why they, the, the outcomes are different than I predict because people aren't playing. There's only a few teams. There's a few teams. I have to give them credit. They're playing night in and night out, and they're playing at full strength. Now, give like top to bottom. Well, this talk about the top. We're just talk about the top in both conferences. The Jazz outside of Spider, they've been playing for the most part. Been playing, you know, night in and night out again. But they're a young team as well. The Suns are playing night in and night out together. They just did a back to back in the last uh, couple of days. I want to say Sunday, Monday. They did a back to back, and they pretty much everybody played. I really feel like that's that's going to help with chemistry as well. That's a whole other conversation. But they're playing, you know, holistically. The Hawks, they were out with well, Trey Young the other night, but they still won. But that was the first night Trey didn't play in a while. They've been playing a lot together. The Wizards have been playing a lot together. The Knicks seem that are on hot streaks, coincidentally, all playing together. And they are, you know, winning, and they're playing together. They're building good team chemistry leading into the playoffs. And they will definitely be in shape. I'd say they're the best team, but they be, they'll be in shape. And they would definitely be ready chemistry-wise when it comes to the playoffs. I mean, no matter how highly powered the Nets are, they are a dumpster fire when it comes to chemistry. Let's just be honest. And I'm not sure what's that going to be. You know, I would take, I would take the a team that has really good chemistry in the East, like the Knicks or somebody like that. The Hawks maybe will really give them a go because they have really good chemistry and they've been built in over the last couple of years. Versus a team that's so highly touted that's got injury concerns and never really played together and things like that in the third, even though they're highly talented. They were, you're looking at three highly prolific scores. I mean, it's, it's, it's no question in that, but if a team can really, build, you know, band together and, and, and limit you offensively somehow, and they can score on you because you're not playing any defense, it's problematic. But you know, the whole overall issue is the fact that the product is watered down. And this is all indicative of this quick restart and this quick turnaround, these back to back to games. Like, cause I don't think anybody's had a, two days in between games in quite some time. And it's looking like it's not going to change looking at the schedule. So, and we're getting down to maybe about three to four weeks left, about 10 to 12 games, I'm say 12 to 14 games left for certain teams. And it may, I guess the middle of May, May 15th-ish, but I'll still be here. So, and I think this is going to continue. I mean, I really think the Lakers might start to try to get everybody on the floor, you know, consecutively, which is smart. And once LeBron comes back, but They've been without him for, you know, a couple few weeks now, like three three to four weeks. Just got AD back. So they need to build their chemistry now because they it's, it's go time. But all these teams is, you know, in and out, night in, night out, you know, Kawhi taking time off, Paul George taking time off, you know, Embiid taking time off. You know, just all these marquee players that you expect to be on the floor, 
you know, fighting for MVP awards and fighting for seeding, they're allowing the games to just to slip through their fingers because they're just not on the court. Now, if I had to choose where whether or not to have a really good product on the floor for the playoffs versus the regular season, of course I'll choose the playoffs hypothetically, but I mean in the interim just it's like we're like we're going through the motions with these games. And I don't, it's just bad product. And I hope that we can get back to some normalcy next season and, and just play normal and all this low management will go away. People will get their normal rest and normal preparation. I don't have to deal with this because this is terrible. It really is terrible. I'm just every time I look at the statue, like how the hell did they beat X, Y, and Z? And they should not be in this game. Oh, let me check the scoreboard. Let me check the box score. Okay, yeah, A, B, and C didn't play, and that's the reason why they lost. Terrible. It's really terrible. But yet again, I'm going to do my job here, and I'm going to talk about these hot games. Um, again, I won't call them lukewarm games this week. Lukewarm games this week. We're going to talk about it. So Tuesday night, first of all, my docket was the Blazers versus the Clippers. Now, I'm going to preface this by saying that I, I've lost all, all but – I'm, I'm, I'm in little to no faith in the Blazers at this point. Because I've been, I was singing their praises in previous podcasts, you know, a few, a few weeks ago and saying that the moment they get healthy, they're going to be a problem. They got healthy and they weren't, they're still not a problem. And you keep losing games against, against good competition. Like you may beat the Kings, but you lose to the Clippers. So, and this is, this is a particular game against the Clippers. They were without Kawhi. Yet again, going back to the whole load management thing. He wasn't there. But you have no answer for Paul George. Paul George lights up the Blazers every time they play. And he, to the tune of 33 points this game, and just go back and look at the history, Google it. Look at the history of, of how Paul George has been playing the Blazers last two seasons. He's like little more every time. They have no answer for him defensively at all. Nobody can mess with him. And he gives them the business every time. And that was a 113-112 to 112 victory uh, for the Clippers. It was close. But yet again, Paul George did what he wanted. And, you know, came down the stretch – you know, he controlled the, the the ball at the end, and he was able to push his team to a one-point victory. So Wednesday, yet again, I, I go back to this uh, conversation about people missing. Now, the Suns was uh, slated to play the 76ers, and I was like, this got to be this gonna be a great game. I'm like, <laughs> I mean, I mean, Embiid is back healthy and, and dominating. You know, Suns are playing well together. Should be a great game. No Tobias Harris. No Seth Curry. So... I'm like, come on, bro. Come on, bro. Like, that's totally dis- that's totally disrespecting the game. Now, granted, the game was still close. You know, it was only a three-point victory for the Suns, 116-113. And Embiid had 38, but it wasn't enough. It just wasn't enough. I mean, think about it like this. I'm sure the Tobias Harris and Seth Curry is good for three points or four. Two points between two of them, this game is the 76th game all day. But, but yet again, they didn't play. So you can't really – judge or gauge how well each team's doing because they are everybody's not playing together loud wild but again the suns win that one all right so thursday was the mavs versus the lakers and this was ad's game first game back uh it didn't matter though he only played in the first half <laughs> and and luka Doncic was just really too much i mean he's really been balling all week i can't I get him credit uh he took to the tune of 30 points against us and we uh lose 115 and 110 to the Mavs, um, played a really good game. I mean, I role players play really well, uh, but again, AD didn't play the whole game. He only played the first half, and uh, we really could have used him in the second half, although he was really off in the, from the field early on, and he didn't really find his groove till last night. So, uh, but yeah, I mean, Lucas just was too much for us at the, down the stretch, especially in the fourth quarter, because uh, we were battling. I believe we had him through the most part of three quarters, and that fourth quarter, Lucas just took over and just made us all look bad. 
<laughs> he's to the tune of 30 points, man. So I got to give him credit. So the, the Mavs take that one, 115-110. So Friday, I was looking at the Nuggets versus the Warriors game. I had to put Steph on the schedule because he's just been killing anybody that moves. Like you move, you catch a three. That's, that's, that's his motivation right now. That's the type of time he's on. I got to give him credit. He's doing wonders from all of his perspective. He's doing wonders. Now, playing against a, I guess you can say a shifty uh, Nuggets team. Now, they've been holding on pretty well after, since Jamal Murray got hurt, but uh, yeah, Steph didn't care. Uh, so the 232 points he had, uh, and they beat them walking, running, and <laughs> speed racing away, 118-97. The Warriors beat the Nuggets, so yeah, yeah, the Steph just was too much for them boys. I don't know. Uh, the Nuggets, you know, might quite might might flatten this game. I really didn't have any any burst at all. Uh, I know it was fatigue factoring in, but yet again, I mean, talent wise, clearly Nuggets are more talented. But Steph and the Warriors are just sort of too much. I think Ubre had a good game in this one as well. So hey, gotta give the Warriors credit for definitely putting in the work. They win one eighteen one one eighteen ninety seven. So this leads me to Saturday. I, I underscored this earlier about the 76 versus the Bucks. Now, this was a back-to-back game. It was back-to-back consecutive games for each team. And in this game, no Joel, no Joel Embiid. Uh, Harris played. I'm not sure Seth Curry played, but it really didn't matter. I mean, the Bucks literally walked all over this team like it was nothing. Giannis hit 24. It was 132-94. to 94. And it wasn't close from at no stretch of the game. It wasn't close. I feel like they got to like a out to like a fifteen to twenty point lead before the the Celtics even got going. Yeah, no Embiid, and I'm not sure he makes up. Uh, what's that? Uh, thirty eight points or so. I'm not sure he makes up thirty eight points. I mean, he had you know he had thirty eight in the first matchup, but you know I don't know if he makes that much up. But regardless, I mean him not being on the floor was big because you know again they just walked all over him. They whatever they want. So the so the Celtics lose to the Bucks one thirty two to ninety four. So Sunday, we had the Nets versus the Suns. And this was KD's return uh, from being injured again from that thigh bruise. And uh, he looked pretty decent from coming off the bench. And this was uh, one of the few games that was pretty fully staffed. I mean, clearly no James Harden yet. Uh, he's still out with an injury. But uh, the Suns were fully staffed. And the Nets were two of the three big guns and everybody else. And Kyrie had 34. KD had 33. And it was really just too much for the Suns. Uh, the Suns fought. They fought hard all the way to the bitter end, but they lost the 128 and the 119 to the Nets. I mean, again, the Nets just really high powered offensively. Just, you know, there's really a lot to deal with. Almost like the Chiefs, you know, in a sense where they just got a lot of offense and he just makes you play different. You know, it's one of those things. So they definitely look good. Definitely look good on Sunday. I had to give him credit. So Monday night was the Pelicans versus the Clippers. And again, no Kawhi. No Kawhi Leonard. And the Pelicans walked all over the, the Clippers every day. They had no answers for nobody on the Pelicans. And Zion led the way with 23 points to a 120-103 victory by the Pelicans. So, you know, Paul George was quite pedestrian in this game. And like I said, the, the, the Zion-led Pelicans were definitely getting their, uh, having their way early and often. And then they just walked all over the Clippers this game. So they broke their winning streak, I think, as well. So that's that's definitely a step back for them. But again, no Kawhi Leonard. I think Kawhi Leonard plays in this game. It's a different ball game. So, yet again, you're looking at people that aren't playing at key moments when good matchups are good for TV. And this game, this game was televised too. Yet again, no big star in this game. So, what can you really say? What can you really say? But well, that's the hot games of the week. So, 
uh, as I alluded to about the Nuggets and they're trying to hold on, they did. I mentioned they were talking about signing Austin Rivers, which they, which they did. Uh, and I give uh, the Nuggets credit for Jokic uh, as a whole elevating his place since Jamal Murray's been out. But I wonder because I just, I just as I just alluded to them losing uh, earlier in the um, in the in the segment I gave. You know they lost the uh, um, their last game, and but you know they're seven and three in the last ten. Uh, but um, yeah, man, it's it's it looks like a different team. I think that's where I'm alluding to. It looks like a different team. You know, Austin's definitely not gonna give you what Jamal gave you, and I and I said that. Uh, he's in a good dish. He's a decent addition. He's a good player, but good role player. Let me say it that way. But he's definitely not Jamal. So I just call him the question of how they're gonna fare in the playoffs. You know, especially um, with the way it stands right now, they play the Lakers. So a fully a fully stabbed and strong Lakers team versus this team with no Jamal Murray. Yeah, that's rough. <laughs> it's just rough out. And I'm not just saying that because I'm a Lakers fan. I'm just saying that as a whole. You know, if you look at how the Nuggets are playing and how they're trying to find themselves after Jamal Murray got hurt, because he was the leader. I mean, he he might have been young, but he was the leader of that team. You know, I watch enough Nuggets games. I mean, especially being a West Coast uh, fan, I see a lot of Nuggets games, and I've definitely noticed the difference. You know, like I said, they, still, they seem to eke out victories. Um, in the last 10, let's say seven out of seven out of seven and three out of the last 10. I give them credit, but that last loss they had was, was a pretty bad loss. I, I definitely have to say that, you know, and I really feel like they're it's, it's, it's teetering. It's teetering, bro. It's teetering, you know? So I got to say that they need to figure out what they're going to, who they're going to be going forward in the next 11 or so games that they have left. Um, so they can figure out who they're going to be come playoff time because, you know, they, they really got some soul searching to do. And that's what I'm driving at. They got some soul searching to do. I really think that the team really got hit with a really bad streak of luck and they just really caught a bad injury at the wrong time. And again, I harken that back to the condensed schedule, the fatigue factor, and these back-to-back games every other night playing. You know, the fatigue factor and injuries hitting everybody hard because of just fatigue. You know, if you ever play sports, you know, and you understand how things work, you would get hurt more or fatigued than anything else. And I really feel like people are really getting hurt and getting these leg injuries and these bad uh, breaks because of just fatigue, the fatigue factor. And again, that's weighing on the product. And I really feel like the product is sullied from an NBA perspective because people are, aren't playing on, on certain special nights or they're hurt, period. And it's just looking real pedestrian right now, looking real pedestrian. But as far as the Nuggets are concerned, man, I really hope they can find their identity of who they're going to be when they kind of shift that dynamic of who, what the focus is going to be um, so they can compete in the playoffs, really. That is really what I want to see. You know, give me a valiant effort. You know, it's almost like a year when Kobe got hurt and he tore his Achilles right before the playoffs. And the Lakers tried their best, even though he couldn't play anymore that season. And they tried their best, but it just didn't was ugly in the playoffs and they got swept the first round. So here's what it is. But let's talk about another team that's actually doing well for themselves uh, here in the last 10, uh, the Wizards. Uh, the Wizards are playing really inspired basketball. And Bradley Bill, man, I, I you know, and I want to give him and Steph a lot of love. And I really feel like their numbers speak to MVP caliber. But I just feel like they're both too far down in the standings because they're both at playing status right now. I really feel like they, to them together, are really playing really, really, really efficient uh, basketball from office perspective. And I really feel like they should garner some MVP votes, but I really just don't think they would get any traction because their team isn't winning at a large enough clip. And I said, I think that's what, you, if that's the, that would be the push between Jokic and Embiid. 
Now, B keeps taking nights off, though. I'll tell you that much. He keeps taking nights off like he's been doing here lately. <laughs> Buddy, Jokic is going to win that thing by default because he plays every night. Now, I give him credit for, you know, being in a smaller market in Denver, but that boy plays every night. He's He don't take nights off. So, you know, that's that's if you're going to weigh that into your voting as a voter, then clearly Jokic is going to be MVP because he plays every night and putting up comparable numbers. Now, again, I think Embiid is a better player than Jokic, you know, in, 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 a, in a certain regards, but I really feel like that Jokic being consistent and being – relevant every night makes it makes a big difference so what's that going to mean come voting time it really was really will boil down to but talking about the wizards especially i really feel like they are playing good ball at a good at a good time i think uh, westbrook and, and bill have really figured out the chemistry and how to work off each other and they're putting up gaudy numbers i'm talking about gaudy numbers it's been really 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 special to see um for the last 10 like i said they're uh, ironically enough, they're in two in the last 10. They just lost to the Spurs in the bomb burner, 145 to 143. And Bradley Bill went off in that game. <laughs> it, it, oh, it was crazy. Crazy. I want to say he had 45. 45 in that game. So, you know, like I said, they lost, actually lost 146 to 143, lost by three points in OT, in OT of all, of all places. So, yeah, man, it was definitely, uh, definitely a good game. I wasn't expecting the DeRozan really went off in this game as well, but. Uh, they've been playing inspired basketball now. I mean, as it stands right now, they definitely are uh, in the playoff game, like I said. But um, getting there and playing the way they're playing, I have no clue. I have no question about the idea of them making it potentially um, based upon where they play. Now, as it stands right now, they will play the Heat, and I think that's a tough ask uh, from a defensive standpoint. I think it's a tough ask for um, for the Wizards, but they got a lot of firepower, and the, the Heater. Up and down, they're up and down, but they're, they're in a statistical tie with the with the Celtics, over thirty two and twenty nine. So who knows who gets that six to seven spot? But the Wizards are definitely a tough out. I really feel like they're going to be a tough out with those two high powered uh, guards they have. So and it's anybody's ball game. It's anybody's ball game. But I love the way Bradley Bill has been playing um, overall the whole season for real. And Westbrook's starting to come into his own and start to really get healthy and and really be that hyper athletic guard that he's always been. So, you know, Mr. Triple-Double. So, I really think that they are going to uh, turn some heads here in the last, you know, 10 to 12 games that they got left. Um, and there's another guy I want to talk about as well. He's a, kind of an unsung hero for this team. Um, he's popped up on my, uh, on my awards for the last couple of weeks, uh, Daniel Gafford. Um, he's an unsung hero as far as being a defensive stopper. He's 6'10", 234, um, 21 years old. And he's definitely put up a lot of good numbers from a – perspective in a lot of blocks steals rebounds so uh he's an intangible guy for them that's helping them out it really he really impressing me far as his uh defensive play so you know I'm, I'm coach defense you know i love defense so definitely like the way he uh scraps so he's gonna be a good young prospect for them if they can hold on to him so but yeah so we'll look out for the wizards man i think there's gonna be a good good uh time coming up in these next few games so they're definitely hitting their stride so we'll see how they finish in the next 10 be a good one but I alluded to talk about Steph Curry um, earlier, so we'll talk about him now. Uh, I, I have to say, you know, they're 73 in the last 10. You know, he's putting up no less than 30 points, you know, practically every night. Uh, you know, and his average as in the last month has just been ridiculous. You know, anywhere between you know, 30, 35, maybe close to 40 points a game in certain regards. <laughs> it's it's amazing, you know, the, the type of clip he's on, and it's, it's just – you would think, you know, people that shoot 
you know, from long range like he does would cool off at certain points, but he just never does. It's just, it's just crazy. Like, that's why he give him the title of being the best shooter ever because he's just, he just, when you think he's going to cool off, he never does. He never does. And it's amazing to watch. It's amazing to watch. So I, I, I call in the question about his uh, chances for MVP because they started to say, you know, rumors that he should be in the MVP conversation. I'm like, Again, he's he's up against the idea of the, him his team not winning enough games. I think that's the biggest problem they're going to have. You know, because right now they're at the 10th spot as well. They're 31 and 30. They won 73 in the last 10. Like, like I said, they like won the last two. But again, they they play they will play Portland. You know, in the first round, I think they could be Portland because again, I don't have a lot of faith in Portland at all uh, when it comes to uh, playoff basketball. But you know, hell, they two and eight in the last 10. I mean, my goodness, this jeez. But Yet again, I mean, you, when you get stuff, you get a chance, you know, but I just think that they, his team doesn't win enough um, from his perspective. He's clearly the most valuable team, person on the team, but I don't think they will give him the most valuable player in the league just because he's, his team isn't high enough in the rankings. And if they were four or five, you know, six maybe, probably be a different conversation, but, you know, because it really be all on his, the strength of his back and the fact that he got them that far. But the fact that they're above 500 is, is a miracle with no clay. So definitely give him credit for that. But um, I think you'll get MVP votes overall, but I just don't think it'll be enough. But I'd love to see it, though. Love to see it. So we've been talking about playoffs. So let's talk about uh, how the playoffs outlook is going to look uh, here in the in, uh, essence today. Let's call it to essence today. Outlook would look at like today. So um, if you're watching this on YouTube, you can see it. But if you can't, if you're listening to this, I'll read it out. Uh, for right now, the one seed is Utah, and they've clinched the actual playoff spot. So they're in the playoffs. They just haven't locked up the number one overall seed yet. Uh, so in the West, they're the one seed. Phoenix is the two seed. Uh, the Clippers are the three seed. The Nuggets are the four seed. Lakers are the five. Dallas are the six. In the playing game right now, we have the Spurs and the Warriors. Oh, so nine and ten play each other. Okay, so nine and ten play each other. Spurs and the Warriors. And then the Portland uh, Trailblazers and the Memphis Grizzlies play will play each other in the playing game. Um. So I think it's a two-game playing tournament, I believe. So, um, you know, winner and loser play each other just in the third. So they get to play each other. And, and the winner of all that gets the eighth seed and the seventh seed in the uh, playoffs there. So two of those teams can get into the actual playoffs itself. So over in the East, we got uh, Brooklyn in the one right now. They actually get two games up because the the well, one and a half. They're one and a half games up above Philly right now because uh, Philly's, you know, gave up two straight games to the Bucks because people are not playing. So yet again, you lose out. Well, that just for simple fact that people have been playing. So the the, the Bucks are so the Nets are one, the Seventy Six are two, the Bucks are three, the Knicks are four. <laughs> Very surprised they're thirty four and twenty eight. Knicks are four. Atlanta's five. I talk about I talk about Atlanta being a winning team after they fired their coach and got David Millen in there. So that's a definitely a sight to see. Uh, so Boston right now is six technically, but a slight uh tiebreaker there. Um, they're six, and then Miami seven win the playing game, and they're playing the Hornets right now at eight. And then the uh, Pacers and the Wizards are playing nine and ten uh, in the playing tournament. So that is your matchups as of right now. What's really good, really good matchups. So um, we'll see how that hold how that holds and what that's true to this form outside of these next eleven so games that we got to play left. But um, it's looking in the shape of the beer. Some really good matchups come uh, come round one because uh, it ain't no easy win no matter where you look at it. Because the teams that you, the top end teams that have to play low end teams that are playing really good high basketball, if I had to pick, let's say the Warriors come out to be the AC, they got to play the Utah. And Utah with, against a Steph, 
That's a, that's that's to be oh that'd be good TV, and I would say the Trailblazers maybe maybe, uh, or the Grizzlies. I'll say I would get a Grizzlies denial because I just don't trust the Trailblazers right now. To be honest, the Grizzlies versus the Suns, good matchup. Denver versus Lakers, good matchup. Clippers versus Dallas, good matchup. You got I would say I'd put my money on the Wizards to be eight and the Heat to be seven. So you got the Heat versus the Seventy Sixers first round, great matchup. You got the uh, Hot Wizards versus the Nets, and I think that they've beaten the Nets a couple of times this year, um, and they just they were just a bad matchup for them uh, uh, so far. So that'll be an interesting matchup. So you got the uh, Knicks, Knicks versus the Hawks. That can, that's a push and go either way. You got a Hot Boston team versus Milwaukee was another good good matchup. So yeah, I mean it's no matter how you slice it, it's good matchups all the way around. So that's gotta be good basketball there. Got to be good basketball there. So we're going to see how it shakes out overall. But um, it's definitely looking good, Um, you know, in, I guess, from a matchup perspective as of today. As of today. So, yeah. Let's round up this uh, NBA segment. Let's talk about uh, player spotlights. We'll get into some uh, players that I've been looking at this week. Uh, Luka Doncic, uh, Julius Randle, Bradley Bill, and Kyrie Irving. Now, <laughs> overall, these boys here, man, they've been putting up some great numbers. <laughs> great, great numbers. And hey, on top of the fact they've been putting up great numbers, it seems they've been winning. And Kyrie Irving sticked out to me this week because I was saying to myself, I mean, he's been the consistent body since um, since Kyrie, since uh, AD and uh, Harden have been out. And the boys put up numbers. <laughs> I mean, super numbers. So, you know, his play has been leading to a good winning streak for the Nets, and they're now the number one seed, technically. Uh, so he's been balling. Uh, Bradley Bill, I just spoke about him. He's been putting up big numbers as well. Like I said, I think he had like 43, you know, even though he lost by three to the Spurs at the end at the OT. But, oh, man, he put in the, he put up a great performance. Julius Randle has been uh, leading his team, and I feel like they uh, are on a winning streak as well. Uh, I think they they lost tonight to the Suns. Lost last night to the Suns on Monday night. Uh, but they, outside of that, they've been they, – I think they had a good winning streak going on. Uh, let me see here. They were – yeah, they're nine to one in the last ten. They just lost. They were literally nine to zero. <laughs> so, gotta give them credit for that. And of course, Luka Doncic has been leading his his team as well. They they beat the Lakers in two straight. Uh, gotta give them credit for that. They're five and five in the last ten, but they won the last three. So yet again, I mean, their numbers is is amazing. So, so it's start with Kyrie. So in the last in the last week's time, Kyrie's putting up 32, 28. He had a little bit of. 15 against Boston, although they won, and he had 34 against the Suns. So, I mean, it's really good competition. He's been putting up big numbers. So, Bradley Bill, in, in large part, he's put up in the last uh, week's games 29, 33, 33, and 45. <laughs> uh, amazing. He made 20 field goals last night. Crazy. <laughs> Crazy. So, Julius Randle, uh, he had a little bit of pedestrian game against the Suns, but outside of that, he's been pretty good. 16, 40, 31, and 18. Uh, averaging a double double for the most part in those games as well, either assists or rebounds. I mean, the <laughs> boy is multifaceted. You gotta give him credit. Gotta give him credit for being multifaceted. He's been definitely doing his thing. And Luca, Luca, I mean, I'm, you know, I'm crying the blues a little bit because he gave the, the Lakers a business in back to back games. But overall, um, you got looking at you're looking at 37, 30, 30, 18. <laughs> so I mean. You know what, what can you what can what can you not say about the guy? What can you not say about the guy? I mean, he's doing his thing big time, doing his thing big time. So yeah, gotta give him big time credit. 
for uh, putting in big work, putting in big work. So those are my player spotlights. Now, coming to COVID, um, there's a few people that actually had come down with it, even though we got, we're doing pretty well with the vaccine and things of that nature. So a couple of people have had or had safety protocols, uh, quarantines and things of that nature. But yet again, for another consecutive week, we haven't had any game cancellations. So it hadn't been widespread. And, um, you know, we've been isolated and it's been, uh, you know, kept under wraps for the most part. So that's good news. And we have had any game cancellations. And we only got, you know, 10 to 11 games left. So hopefully we can say in the next two and a half weeks that we will keep the same energy and not have any more game cancellations and get these games done and over with. We can get to the playoffs healthy and, and right and get, put a good product on the field and people will play every night as I underscored before. But yeah, so that's it, man. That's going to wrap up the NBA segment. Uh, let's get into for the record this week. First, before we do NFL. So let's do for the record, man. Let's get it. Back for For the Record. This is the Lockdown Davis Podcast. I'm your host, Coach Defense. Oh, man, we hadn't done For the Record in quite some time. Uh, <laughs> my hot-button topics for For the Record have been been on the, on the mild tip. I want to say that it hadn't been a whole lot of things that have been really vexing my spirit to, to the point where I needed to go on the record about things that have been bothering me. Uh, but this week has been an interesting week. Uh, I really have to say that. It's been a really interesting week, and it's been of those one of those game changing weeks. You had the Derek Chauvin case get decided, um, and subsequently you had things in the news that happened right after that that were uh, status quo about what happened with the Derek Chauvin case and George Floyd. You had a lot of more. You had a lot of more people getting murdered by the police in this week, and despite the fact that Derek Chauvin got convicted, so. <laughs> To say that it, we justice was served and, and accountability was given in one instance is still happening rampant all around the world, and it hasn't stopped. And until people really address the demon that is within them that is racism, we're not going to get past this. Uh, I will say that. I will keep singing that, and I will literally you know, write that same page until it changes. I will keep writing that same page. But regardless... Um, in the same breath, and when we're talking about sports, uh, I found out some interesting news on top of the idea of what's been happening with the Derek Chauvin case and things of that nature. But uh, come to find out this week, um, of course, we know this is an Olympic year. Uh, last year was supposed to be an Olympic year, obviously, but COVID uh, ruined that. So we having supposedly we're having the Olympics this year uh, in Japan, but now they just call themselves out on a state of emergency. So who knows? Who knows? Uh, and I really feel like we're not there yet, honestly and truly, as a whole country, as a whole world, uh, to be considering them us being safe enough to have Olympic Games in its own right. But And I've said this, but but if they want to do this, much like they've done the NFL despite uh, firing factors, like they've done the NBA despite Myron factors and people have come down with this despite uh, 
you know, it being uh, clearly a well-known issue than it's being a dire issue. The show has gone on in certain regards, you know, although I've criticized it in, in, you know, in great length because it was putting people's livelihood and health, it putting a livelihood over their health. Let me say it that way. And make them risk themselves and their lives for their livelihood versus being healthy and being safe. So with that being said, clearly the Olympics is supposed to go on and we don't know what's going to happen with uh, Japan just of yet if they're in a state of emergency, but um, let's just hope and say that they're going to be uh, able to host. Right. So it came out last week, um, late last week that IOC and IOC is the board that governs the Olympics as a whole. They um, made it clear that they were going to not tolerate people protesting in Olympic events. Uh, and if you go back to the um, track and field events uh, early on, I want to say it was in the seventies uh, where uh, two members of the, that were there in the black Panther party threw up their fists as they won the gold and silver medals, you know, and they, that medal went out of scrutiny. Um, but in an age of, especially in America, an age of civil unrest and social injustice being at a really fever pitch. Uh, they came up with a very strong opinion on the fact that they didn't want protesting in their events. And it's very mind boggling to me that they would say this because now I grant you the IOC has really strict policies when it comes to athletes, their performance, you know, they get tested, uh, you know, for performance, enhancing drugs and things of that nature. I mean, they're really strict about how, how people conduct themselves. I get it. You know, even after you win medals, like if you, if you have a really negative image of yourself after they may end up stripping you of medals and things like that. So I understand that they, it's not far fetched. They would say this, but they really have missed the mark here. Uh, you know, like take Naomi Osaki, for instance, you know, he, she protested in large and, it's type, and it was a type of, event that would that had garnered national attention like a tennis match that in foreign countries you know she protested you know in in large part doing her rise in her tennis fame here recently so they said that they would not allow for you to protest you know with black lives matters and uh kneeling and throwing fists or any type of protest that that garners attention that seems to point to social injustice for minorities they won't, they won't, they won't uh, allow that. Now they didn't depict or they didn't go into detail exactly about what that means. Like would it, would it say if I protested before an event, would that mean I can't participate in an event? Would you, if I won a medal and I did it, would you strip me of my medal? I mean, they didn't say what the ramifications were, but they just said they weren't going to tolerate it. Now, <laughs> I, I, again, this, again, like I said, they really missed the mark here because a lot of people that participate in these events, you know, um, I want to say a high marking percentage are minorities, you know, and people that have been oppressed and people that have been marginalized. And I'm sure everybody as a whole uh, are awakened to the fact that, you know, things are going on and they want to peacefully protest in, in support of that. So, for you to quote unquote ban this action is really speaking to the idea of white supremacy not being just an American thing. Because you can't sit here and tell me that 
the majority of the athletes that are especially highly relevant, you know, they they they've been marginalized and oppressed in their countries in large part, you know, because every country has oppression and every country has marginalized people and those and ironically enough, a lot of those people compete in the Olympics and are Olympic athletes. You can't tell me Usain Bolt hadn't deal with issues in his own country, you know, as being a a, a black man, you know. LeBron James has dealt with oppression, obviously, and in, in marginalization in his country as being one of the best basketball players in in the events. Naomi Osaka being the best tennis player, she's dealt with it. She's a, she's a mixed-race person. She's gotten it from both sides. There are plenty of people in, in, in Japan and in, in European countries, India, you know, a lot of South African folks have all dealt with some type of uh, third world oppression or uh, marginalization from the majorities in their country. And a lot of these people, honestly and truly, really look to the Olympics to, as an outlet and, and they put their all into being an uh, Olympic athlete. And, and yet again, you won't, you, you feel that they can't express themselves um, based upon what they go through in their lives because. Literally, they're literally using sports as an outlet to get away from the oppressive lifestyle and all try to find themselves a better way to live uh, being an Olympic athlete. They pour themselves and their heart and souls and their blood, sweat, and tears into being an Olympic athlete to get away from the marginalization and oppression that is their countries. So when they want to express the idea that they don't want to keep dealing with that as a people, you want to suppress that by saying you can't do it in the Olympics. That's 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 a slap in the face. That's a slap in the face. I don't I don't get I don't get I don't understand where the IOC gets off with this I, because it's harmless protesting, you know. And I get it. It's not the it's not the United States. In the United States, you have freedom to protest and things of that nature. I get it. But overall, you, you have to understand that people, not just United States people, but people as a whole, are really rising up to the idea that that oppression is something that should not stand. And they want to, if they want to speak out about it, they should have the freedom to. They really should have the freedom to. And you banning this, well, and to be honest with you, and if it's not a, a significant ban, if I can still compete and I can still win a medal, I will still do it. Honestly and truly. I don't care what they say. You can what, sanction my organization or, or my country if you want to, but I will still do it. Honestly and truly. Like, it just really depends on what the penalty is. If not, if I'm not going to lose my medal and, and cause my country a, t- a chance to be uh, winners in this in any event that I'm competing against, I would still protest, honestly and truly. I mean, again, you're not stripping me from my medal. If you're not allowing, not um, you know, disqualifying me from competing, I'm protesting if if I so desire, and I'm going to wear things that that in, they're indicative of me protesting and not being comfortable with what's going on in my own country. It's a it's an event that you're bringing together people of all walks of life in all different countries as a whole in one area bringing them all together so you bring all their problems into one location they should be able to express themselves shouldn't pigeonhole or try to bring down their uh, way of life because you don't want them to do certain things for what reason i don't know i didn't even get the reasoning for it so i can't even explain it but again again it smells like white oppression white supremacy at, at its at its core so you know, I guess it doesn't just mean there's a white problem in America. 
you know, it's a, it's a minority problem in America. It seems like it's all over. It seems like it's all over to me, but that's what it is. So, uh, yeah, so we'll move on to another topic. Um, as we, uh, wrap up for the record, this won't be a extremely long segment this week, but, uh, LeBron James, he tweeted a tweet that drew a lot of controversy this week. And now, I'm in a minority, and I'm going to say this right up front, that I had no problem with LeBron's James's tweet at the moment because of this. You have to realize that LeBron James is a uh, uh, middle, mid-30s, 36-year-old man, right? And he's been dealing with what we've seen happen to black and brown people all his life, just like I have all my life. And it's way past tired. It's way past tired and it's way past infuriating. It's gone into a whole level of anger and frustration and, and it really is a over abundance of boiling point. to for us. So he witnessed now without, you know, and I, and I, I will be, I would be honest and I say this, I really like to understand and know all the facts or at least as much as I can before I, give my opinion on certain situations you know so when he understood the whole entire dynamic of the situation you know it, people scrutinized his tweet and it was a simple to saying that, that the guy that killed Michaela Bryant was next and he and he had hashtag accountability because the hashtag accountability was going around after Derek Chauvin was convicted of murdering George Floyd so his tweet to me was relevant because it seems to him as if this cop that killed Michaela Bryant would did another uh, such act similar to what happened to George Floyd and a bunch of other black and brown people in this country, especially in the last 15 years. It seems like it's just another one of these instances, another broken record in the sense that white cops keep killing black people. So his tweet was to me was relevant. You know, I had no issue with it. Now, I would have said this if LeBron James was a Cavalier. Heat, you know, anything but a Laker. It's not it has anything to do with Laker affiliation. I really feel like that, you know, this is completely separate from you know fandom or anything like that. Just him being a man and standing up for social justice, and me being a, a sports person standing up for the same pur- purpose. So my issue with this tweet, I didn't have one. I get it. I understand exactly what he meant and what he was trying to get at. Now, he said he only took the tweet down because it was causing more hate and division and problems than it was uh, helping. So I get him, him taking it down. Uh, but I really feel like in his heart of hearts, he still meant what he said because I feel like although, you know, Michaela Bryant had a butter knife in her hand and she was going after a woman, I really feel like, yet again, the idea of deadly force and deadly violence towards black people, that's the first reaction, is totally and completely a problem with black and brown people having to face police brutality and murder every day of their lives, practically. Why do they jump to having deadly forces an option as the first option versus the last option? You're trained in tons of de-escalation tactics. And when your white counterparts have the same or worse reaction to you in attempts to subdue them, you don't, Reach for deadly force at all, if ever. I've you've, you've never seen a white person without 
firing directly at a police officer being shot back at. I mean, let's just put put it all on the table. Every mass shooter in this country that's been a white American uh, in the past several years have all been apprehended without an incident. I mean, literally, you literally have to get into a firefight with the police and they ultimately, if you don't take your own life, because that's what happens a lot of times. See, a lot of people get it, see these mass shootings get cornered by the police to try to be apprehended and they take their own life. The police don't necessarily shoot them. They take their own life. They try their best they try their best to take these guys alive. When you kill other, you've literally murdered a bunch of other people. Now, if if you ever had to justify murder, murder, if you ever had to justify murder, murdering other people, and then you coming at me, coming at a, a police officer with the same energy as far as firing, then you being killed in that instance should be justifiable because you're you putting cops at risk on top of the fact that you murdered other people. But people that have, have they're black and brown are unarmed. And complying, doing their best to keep the the police from murdering them in most of these cases, you know, I mean, Michaela Bryant's situation, she had a knife. Yes, I get that. But yet again, you had a taser, a, a, a baton, your hands. She's a girl. You're a man. I mean, again, can't spell it out any deeper than that. It's the heat of the moment, yes. But yet again, you've been trained in all these de-escalation tactics. De deadly force should be your last resort, not your first. And the problem we have and why it's so triggering for us is the fact that black and brown people get treated as deadly force as being the first option. Guy in North Carolina, they fired on the, in his car 10 to 12 times, they hit him in the head and killed him. Guy in Spotsylvania County, Virginia, got his cell phone mistaken for a gun and it, which is too which is ridiculous and got fired on. He's fighting for his life in ICU. It's, it's way past triggering, way past triggering, way past infuriating, way past a boiling point. It's highly and truly infuriating. And I don't, again, I have no issue with LeBron's tweet because he saw another white cop killing another black person and he said what he said. I have no issue with it. He only took it down in my for my purviews because he it was causing way more divisiveness and, and hate and malice than it was doing any good so that's the only reason he took it down and i get it and i really do get it but i had no problem with lebron sweet i really didn't because that cop honestly truly should be held accountable as well because of his not necessarily about the fact that he was should be charged in in, in the same breath as Derek chauvin but his use of deadly force as a first resort is a problem he should at least get some further training and de-escalation tactics and things of that nature and not see deadly force is the first option for black and brown people, but not for white people. That's the biggest issue and the biggest problem. Because how do people that commit mass murders and walk down the street with rifles and, and assault weapons and, and tons of ammunition in your face and you bring them in unharmed? Some people come at you wielding knives and trying to cut you and trying to hurt you and you run away and you de-escalate the situation with no problem and no incident and no murder. It's a whole different, whole different dynamic. It's clear cut, it's clear cut dynamic. And again, I have no issue with LeBron Street because he understood that he saw what he saw and he sees what we see. And the fact that they always use deadly force as the first option when it comes to black and brown people versus trying to de-escalate the situation. A guy running away in the car shouldn't 
automatically get gunfire raining on his car because they're trying to issue a warrant for gun drug possession. If nothing else, you you track him down, you chase him, track him down, and subdue him without deadly force and bring him in. It's a drug possession charge. It's not murder. It's not rape. It's not you know anything that's a high regarding felony. Simple drug possession. If if that they don't even know if he did or didn't. It's just simple fact that they were issuing a warrant. He tried to get away, and he shot him with his car. Now I don't agree with the fact that he ran, but yet again. If you see all these people get killed by police, whether you're right or wrong, as a black man, and I want you to understand and truly hear what I'm saying right here. As a black man, no matter if you're right, wrong, or indifferent, and the reason why the police are coming after you, you're scared out of your mind because you don't know if you're going to live or die. Whether you, Again, you could be completely in the right and you die. You could be completely in the wrong and you die. You could be completely the wrong person that they're looking for, Breonna Taylor. They weren't even looking for her, and they murdered her. So why would you feel comfortable with the police coming after you? You just want to get away and don't want to have to deal with them as a group because they might shoot you just because you look at them wrong. That's a problem. That's a problem. And there's a bunch of different ways that we can try to address the idea of them correcting this. You know, I'd I like the, what, they, what they're trying to do in, uh, in George Floyd State where they're trying to make it seem... Uh, if, they, if you have any inclination of any type of white supremacist affiliation, they won't allow you to be police officers. That needs to pass. De-escalation training needs to happen. Accountability and, and qualified immunity needs to go away. All that needs to happen. And it, when it comes down to settlements and payments for wrongful death, it needs to come out of the police's pocket versus it coming out of the taxpayers' dollars. But yet again, all those things need to change as a whole, as a country. But again, until we get there... It's always going to be a problem. It's always going to be a problem. This has been For the Record. I'm your host, Coach Deepens. Let's get back into our NFL segment for Who's in the News. All right, so let's get back into who's the news. Let's do the NFL. Let's talk about it. <laughs> uh, the Florida record was good, man. If you didn't check that segment out, go back and look and listen to it. It was definitely a good segment, and I definitely uh, am, and am definitely highly impressed with uh, that particular segment. So we definitely should check that out if you haven't. But overall, man, the NFL is booming. We are two days away from the draft, and we are definitely uh, moving hot and heavy. Uh, some quick news and updates before we get into our draft talk. Uh, Sean Lee, a uh, long-standing linebacker for the Cowboys, announced his retirement on Monday. Uh, it was time. Uh, I wish him well in his retirement. Uh, definitely, uh, outside of his injury history, I think he was a really, really good linebacker for the uh, Cowboys. And uh, it sucked that we didn't get to see him more on the field based upon that. Uh, but he definitely gave us all in his uh, his play was definitely exemplary, um, you know, definitely a constant pro ball in my mind if he was in, if he was on the field, in, you know, in large part. Uh, definitely did, gave them the Cowboys a lot of good years from a defensive perspective, so we wish him well in his retirement. So a big trade happened as well uh, this week. Uh, Orlando Brown uh, got traded to uh, the Chiefs from the Ravens this week. Uh, 
the Ravens uh, got in, back into the first round again. Um, so they have two first-round picks. Um, they took over the Chiefs pick as well. They got, uh, I think, the Orlando Brown went uh, to the Chiefs. Um, the Ravens got their first rounder. They gave up their second. They get some lower second, uh, lower mid-round picks uh, competition as well for that trade. So they get uh, more picks, two first-rounders, and they give up their second, basically to move up. So in my, for my opinion, to pick another lineman, of course, to uh, fill that void with Ronnie Stanley coming back and Orlando Brown moving on. So the Chiefs have bolstered their line. I, I had questions about what they were going to do, but uh, they knew exactly what they wanted to do, and they wanted to revamp it and, and, and reload it uh, in large part. Uh, you know, with this, with Laurent Dewey, they tired of coming back from COVID, along with I think Austin Blythe is still there. They got Kyle Long from out of retirement. They dug him up out of retirement, and they got uh, Joe Thune, in uh, free agency at a large price tag. So, uh, yeah. So you got Orlando Brown, you got Tooney, you got Long, you got Dovinay Tardif, Blythe, and uh, there's one other guy, center that they picked up. Uh, yeah, so they're back. <laughs> they're back from the line perspective. And they have now, because I had called in the question whether or not they were going to be able to compete at the same level that they uh, that they were from the last couple of years with that O-line being in flux. But, it's retooled and, re- and repurposed and is now ready to roll. And and Holmes has his protection back again. And and you not only have good pass protectors, you got good run blockers. Orlando Brown's a really good run blocker on top of being a good pass protector. You know, a lot of people didn't give him uh, much uh, credit for being a good college player, but he didn't give up a lot of sacks in college. Uh, he, you know, he's not a, a world-beating guy from a, a measurable perspective when he came down to the combine and things of that nature, but he's really, really good. He's really, really good in the trenches, man. He's just like his dad, man. He's a mauler. Just, you know, he's he's just like his dad. He's definitely a mauler, and he's definitely going to add to the Chiefs' offense and definitely going to help them out and allow them to uh, get uh, back into the uh, conversation of being a contender. Uh, and there's also rumors out there that Antonio Brown may come to the Chiefs, uh, and that would be a definitely a good addition for them because uh, he's still playing in the lead level in my eyes. I think he's really still – he's got a lot of left in the tank. He's really good route runner still. He's definitely – quick twitching explosive and he's an upgrade for Sammy Watkins if they do get him. So that'll be definitely a good look. So you would have Tyreek, AB, Nico, Travis, and whoever they pick up in a draft. That's formidable. <laughs> that's really formidable. Uh, yeah. So, and with that old line and it was late coming back and I think, uh, uh, Williams will come back as well off of COVID. So they definitely look, look like a contender. I mean, it's not, good news for my charges but i mean i you know competition you know it's always good competition is always good so we're not even gonna argue the idea that you know they will not be back and you know will definitely give us a go and anybody else that they plays gotta give them credit for that trade that was a good one i think it was good for both parties i think the ravens will get what would they need and i think the chiefs got what they need so in other news and i talk about this briefly in sports talk and i'm going to bring it up as a in this uh, segment, Refar, and I talk about this in for the record. So if you haven't, again, if you haven't checked that out, check that out. Uh, previous segment, but Refar made some staunch comments this past week as well, saying that uh, Derek Chauvin, uh, he felt like Derek Chauvin didn't mean to kill George Floyd. It wasn't his intent, man, and you know he double down on that comment because the comment he made before that, he said that he was sick and tired of seeing um, uh, politics and sports. He just want to turn the sports on and 
He just want to see sports. He didn't want to see any politics, any protesting. Well, I tell you, they, these folks, you know, Brian Erlacher and, and, and Brett Favre stick out to me um, in large part. And they, they learn, they, they know how to say things without saying them. <laughs> they really know how to say shut up and dribble and shut up and play uh, without saying it. You know, and he tried to fumble over his words and clean up what he was saying. You know, he tried to dance around it, tried not to completely piss people off. But you did what you, you said, what you said, you said what you said. And again, I alluded to this before in sports talk, and I'm gonna say it again. You know, they are comfortable in speaking their true selves and minds and opinions because they no longer need black and brown people to uh, do anything for them in large part. Because Brian Erlach and Brett Favre uh, together have played on countless teams where they've not only needed uh, black and brown people, but they wouldn't have gotten anywhere without them. They wouldn't have those Hall of Fame busts in Canton without black and brown people. You know, and I'm not saying that, that Caucasian folks didn't have a hand in as well. I mean, you know, he had Caucasian teammates just like Brian Erlach did. And what shocked me about Brian Erlacher is that, you know, I thought that him and Lance Briggs were really good friends. Now, how do you be really good friends with a African-American man but have racist, racial, racially divisive comments to speak? You know, so is that is as if you don't care enough of what, what can happen to your best friend enough to not spew these comments and, and promote this rhetoric. Same thing with Brett Favre. You know, if you've had, I think all of your receivers, anybody, all of your know receivers up to this point have all been African-American. You know, you got um, Sterling Sharp. You know, Greg Jennings, you know, you know, just to name a couple. And these are all, you know, highly toted, highly talented receivers that made you look really good despite all your gunslinging habits. You know, Jermichael Finley, you know, as a tight end, you know, I believe. So, uh, you know, you know, running backs, Dorsey Levins and people like that made you look really good as a quarterback and got you into the Hall of Fame. But yet you have such racial and divisive comments to make about these people, you know, despite the fact that they covered your ass, you know, for a multitude of years, like you can't sit and tell me, you know, how can you go to war with people, black and brown people and not care what happens to them when war is over? Like, that's just ridiculous to me. But again, that's what happened to the military when they came back from wars, black and brown people got treated horrifically bad and white people were celebrated. So that's, and that's how they treated it. I went to war with these people on the battlefield of football and they can go back into their houses and, and neighborhoods and be treated bad. I go back to my neighborhood and be treated good. And it's, it's what it is. I'm just going to sit on my white privilege. That's what you're doing. That's what you're doing. Despicable, man. Despicable. And, and again, you have to be careful nowadays about revealing or, or reveling in what these um, players in the NFL have say from an opinion standpoint when it comes to social issues you know i heard uh uh like i said i think was it a sports analyst or was it a um media analyst it might have just been a um a social media analyst that said that you have to be careful about putting uh caucasian athletes you know jerseys on your black and brown kids back because you'll never really know exactly what type of time they're on you know and People, that, people wore Brett Favre and Erlacher jerseys to death when they were playing. And and to not know that they really felt that way about black and brown people was a slap in the face. It really is a slap in the face. So you got to be careful. I mean, I really people, I need I need people just to show their true colors. Don't don't hide it. 
don't hide it because you feel like you need people to, of color to look out for you. And then the moment you don't need them, you want to castrate and down and look down on them because you don't need them anymore. Disrespectful. It's really disrespectful. So, Red Five, you can, you can just, you can, <laughs> you, you can definitely, definitely do nothing for us, but not just, just don't talk about us. Just don't talk about us at all. Just, just, just leave your comments to yourself. Let's just put it that way. Let's just put it that way. Let's move on. Let's talk about a quarterback uh, dilemma that I have. Uh, we did a segment last week called Put Up or Shut Up. We talk about a lot of young quarterbacks that are really on the hot seat as far as production. Uh, the organizations as a whole has done a lot to put the pieces around you to be for you to able to be successful as a quarterback. And you're, into, you're entering into your third or fourth and sometimes fifth year in the league, and it's go time. We left out a person that, uh, that, that came to my mind as I was doing sports talk this week, Kyler Murray. Kyler Murray is a quarterback to me is on a hot seat as far as being go time. If you look at his uh, weaponry and his uh, team as a whole, he's set up to be highly productive. I mean, this receiving core as a whole, you're talking about DeAndre Hopkins, Christian Kirk, A.J. Green, Isabella, Maybe Fitzgerald coming back. I mean, you're literally tied in away from being probably the best and most prolific offense in the league. So it's really on Kingsbury and Kyler Murray to get it done. And I really, I, I was critical of Kyler Murray throughout this NFL season last year. If you paid attention to my NFL segments last uh, during the season, and the fact that he took to me, he he became, he was very mediocre in, in spots where he should have been taking leap forward and being a leader. And he wasn't taking those steps, and I feel like he felt like he cost them games down the stretch, and cost them a playoff spot because he just wasn't special enough as a quarterback. You know, because let's be honest, if you want to be a good quarterback, you got to be special in certain regards, in certain moments, in, in big time moments, you got to be special. And he just was very mediocre, and I'm not saying he can be, but he just hasn't been yet. But I think that's the big issue here. You know, I really think that's the big issue here. I think that he has to be special. And this year, and or oh, they don't go far. I really think that. So, Kyler Murray's put up a shuttle, buddy. You got to go. It's go time. I think they're. I'm not sure what their running back situation is. They may draft one at some point, um, but or pick up one in a, or maybe a one year deal. I'm not sure what their draft what their running back situation is. I think Keon Drake moved on. In fact, I know he did. So, who their running back is going to be a difference, be a slight difference. But they weren't a big running team in his own right. They're passing team. Clinsbury is the air raid, you know, air it out kind of guy. So. I mean, yes, a good running game was be good, some good things to rely on as a, from a quarterback perspective, but yet again, your production's got to got to raise, yeah, and you're in the toughest division in the league, so you don't want to finish fourth. You don't want to be that guy. Because three teams can go to the playoffs in that in that in that division with 17 games, especially three teams can go to the playoffs, but the fourth team's not going, and you don't want to be that fourth team. So put up a shut up, Kyler. So staying in the same division, let's talk about the 49ers real quick. <laughs> The 49ers to me, and I've said this, and I'm going to say this until the draft. I li- I'm going to say that I might tweet it a few times. I might do a lot of things just to reiterate my point. The 49ers, who have normally in- are very, very tight-lipped when it comes down to the idea of their business and who- what they want to be known in the public eye before they do them, has been little to none. I want to say none. They never leak things early. So for this particular offseason, when they got the third overall pick, they've been very chatty in the media, 
which is very uncharacteristic for them. You know, which tells me, I mean, because it's the old saying goes, when somebody shows you, who do y'all believe them? And I believe that the 49ers and John Lynch and Shanahan are very secretive, right? So for me to believe that they're all of a sudden being chatty about who they want to pick a quarterback and they're being indecisive in that regard, I mean, they've been going back and forth. You know, oh, my God, it's Mac Jones. Now, oh, but we're going to go to Justin Fields' second pro day. And he really called it second pro day just for us. And we're going to go to that. And we're going to run it. And we're going to run plays we want to see him do and react to and, and perform so we know exactly what we'd be getting if we draft him. And this week, oh, it's down to Mac Jones and Trey Lance. Oh, no, it's on, it's five quarterbacks we have our eye on. Man, this is all a smokescreen. It's all a smokescreen. And I'm going to tell you why. Because they are, and again, I talked about this last week, that Robert Sala is a former 49er, and he knows how Kyle Shanahan and, and Lynch work. And he knows that they really got a keen eye on who they want. And he knows he needs a quarterback. So what they don't want to happen is for them to honestly and truly dig in their heels on one guy and Sala snake him and the Jets snake him. Because if it is Justin Fields, like I think it should be, if the Jets are sold on Zach Wilson, now if they really, really drool and fawn over Justin Fields too much, guess what Sala's going to do? He's going to take Justin Fields. Because it's something he something that the quarterback whisperer in, in Kyle Shanahan, which everybody calls him the quarterback whisperer, is something he knows better than most other people. And again, just go back to the offensive defense dynamic. Shanahan's an offensive guy, and he's he knows offense. Sala is defense. He knows defense. Now, what you're deficient in on both sides of the ball is picking the other side. And Sala is the head coach of the Jets. You know, and I'm not sure how much confidence he has in his OC, but you know, I'm he I don't think he trusts him more than he trusts Kyle Shanahan. So he's looking at it like, I really think that he knows something and I may be able to take advantage of the fact that he's fawning over this quarterback and I could take him and benefit from him and he will be left holding the bag. He won't get his guy. And yet again, because they picked second, they they hold all the cards when when it's the Jets from the Jets perspective. So I really feel like they're playing complete in other games and leaking all this fake news. Hate to say that, pun intended. I think they're leaking all this fake news because he, they don't want the Jets to be tipped off of who they want and they snake that pick from them and they'd be stuck with Zach Wilson or Trey Lance. And I won't say they will be stuck with Trey Lance, but I really feel like they want Justin Fields. But I don't believe it's Mac Jones hype. I just don't. Because you don't trade up and give up that those amount of first-round picks for Mac Jones. You could have stayed at 12 and got it. So, I mean, outside of Bill Belichick leaping you in, in a few picks to get Mac Jones, which I doubt he would do, you know, I think that you had a you had a good chance of landing Mac Jones at 12. That's what you really wanted. You don't mortgage your future for Mac Jones. You mortgage your future for a dynamic dual-threat quarterback with a big, tall, strong arm that can run a 4-4. So, I really think it's all a smokescreen. I really feel like they're playing all kinds of games, and we're going to see it play out come Thursday. Watch what I tell you. Watch what I tell you. So, <laughs> as we transition, as we transition into our draft coverage, like I said, the draft's two days away. You know, we're looking at uh, uh, Thursday night, I believe, 8 o'clock. So, um, it's somewhat uh, in person, somewhat virtual. Uh, a lot of people aren't showing up to the draft in, in part, um, but they will have the event, you know, in Cleveland. Um, so, you know, it should be it should be an interesting event. I mean, I, the virtual world was pretty good last year. I mean, it was pretty good. I mean, you don't, you didn't get to see the 
you know, glitz and glamour and the fans celebrating in, in large regard. But it wasn't a bad look. I mean, I, I, I for what it was worth and what we were dealing with at the time, I appreciated it. But it's good to see a little bit of normalcy, you know, with uh, the first few picks, you know. But I don't think all the big names are going to even be there. I think Cheryl Lawrence is staying home and all the good jazz. But, I mean, we'll, it's, it's, a, it's a step in the direction we might be getting back to some type of normalcy. So that, that'll be good. That will be good. But uh, let's review as we get into our uh, let's review our picks uh, for mock draft. Uh, I'm gonna give the review of what I picked one to twenty six in previous podcasts, and I'll give you my picks from twenty seven through thirty two. So uh, yeah, let's let's check that out. So I'll break down one through twenty six. I'll read it off, especially for the radio audience that are watching this on YouTube, and then I'll reveal what uh, twenty seven to thirty two is gonna look like. Now, it was a slight change uh, last minute because, like I said, the Ravens snuck back into the first round at 31 and getting the Chiefs pick and trading Orlando Brown. Uh, but overall, first, um, I'm still questioning about what the Falcons are going to do at four. Uh, but status quo right now, I mean, nothing changes with trades and things of that nature because I think Falcons asked for too much money or too much uh, capital or compensation for that fourth overall pick, so they might stay there. But regardless of that, so we got the Jaguars at one. I pick, got them picking Trevor Lawrence. The Jets at two picking Zach Wilson. The 49ers at three picking Justin Fields. I got the Falcons picking a cornerback of Patrick Satan at four. I got the Bengals picking Panay Sewell at five. I get the Dolphins taking Rashawn Slater at six. I got the Lions taking Michael Parsons at seven. I got the Panthers taking JC Horn at eight. I got the Broncos taking Trey Lance at nine. I got the Cowboys taking Kyle Pitts at 10. I got the Giants taking Greg Russo at 11. I got the Eagles taking Jamar Chase at 12. I got the Chargers taking Elijah Vera Tucker at 13. The Vikings taking Christian Barmore at 14. I got the Patriots taking Mac Jones at 15. I got the Cardinals taking Cradle Farley at 16. I got the Raiders taking Jalen Waddle at 17. I got the Dolphins taking Devontae Smith at 18. I got the Washington football team taking Christian Derrishaw at 19. I got the Bears taking Jeremiah Owosu Kamaro at 20. I got the Colts taking Quiddy Pay at 21. I got the Titans taking Aziz Olajari at uh, 22. I got the Jets taking Asante Samuel Jr. at 23. I got the Steelers taking Najee Harris at 24. I got the Jags taking Tevin Jenkins at 25. And I got the Browns taking Jamin Davis at 26. So, so picks 27 through 32 get a little bit interesting <laughs> for the, in, in large part. So let's go that. So, at 26. Seven, which is the Ravens pick, um, their first pick of two, I think they go wide receiver. I think they take Rashad Bateman at uh, 27. Nice, tall, rangy, big target corner for Lamar Jackson. I think they need that desperately to go along with Sammy Watkins and Hollywood Brown. And they can literally have a, a, a smart dynamic in what, they've been, what they need to be doing from a personnel perspective. They need to put Hollywood in the slot. And they need two nice outside receivers that will have that. Rashad Bateman can be outside and Sammy Watkins can be outside and Hollywood can play the slot. Where he belongs because he's a smaller, speedier, rangier guy. And take the top off defense, he needs to be in a slot. You don't need to be an outside receiver. So, from that perspective, they take Rashawn Bateman, nice, tall, rangy uh, wide receiver at 27. Saints pick at 28. I got them taking Nick Bolton, the linebacker. Uh, and I, I think they need uh, something to fill that void at linebacker. I think they lost Quan Alexander and uh, they still had Demario Davis, but they still need somebody to go along. There's a really good. A uh, heavy, hard-nosed playmaking linebacker, this speedy, and, and that they go along with Demario Davis as he's getting a little bit longer too. So I think they need to fill that void from a defense perspective and get 
a Nick Bolton. I think he's the best overall defensive person that they need that of need that they have to pick in that regard. So I think they got to take Nick Bolton with that uh, 28th pick. Packers uh, take Wyatt Davis, the next best lineman off the board, uh, to fill to help the interior line. They still need a center in my regard. They might get Reed Humphreys in the second round if he slips that far. But I think Wyatt Davis is the best overall lineman that they can take in that regard. Uh, so I think they take the lineman to help fill that void in in the O line and help protect Aaron Rodgers. Um, so I think they take O lineman in in, in uh, Wyatt Davis at twenty nine. The Bills take a defensive end and and Joseph Osai. Uh, they need a pass rusher. Uh, I think he's the best available on the board as of now, based upon who he's been taking already. So they need a pass rusher desperately. I think it's DN and Titans their biggest need. And outside of Kyle Pitts, the Titans are not that great talent wise. So they will go with their committee that they have, and they will take a pass rusher to get to have somebody get after the quarterback because they really desperately need that to help their secondary out. So the Ravens pick again at thirty one. I had them taking Jalen Mayfield, the best overall O lineman left on the board. I think that uh, they take Jalen Mayfield. I think that that will help them uh, fill the void of Orlando Brown leaving, and he fills that position of need where they want to play him at, at uh, at right tackle. So uh, I think they pick Jalen Mayfield in uh, from Michigan that will allow for him to replace at a cheaper price uh, Orlando Brown. And the Bucks pick at thirty-two. Now, if they don't trade out of this pick, um, I think they take Travis Etienne, uh, running back. Um, you know they have. A good stable of running backs, but I really feel like they could utilize him as a, and they actually might end up be, be a cut a, a issue with them cutting Gio Bernard because they have Etienne. Because I really feel like Etienne can be a younger, more dynamic person, more tough, more grittier runner than uh, Gio would be, and be that James White ish kind of role that uh, Tom Brady likes in third down. So I think they take Travis Etienne at thirty two. So yeah, so that's gonna round out those uh one through thirty two, man. So we'll see how it fares. See how many I get right and how many I get wrong. Uh, assuming we don't have any trades, it should check out something very close to this, in my opinion. But we'll see how it goes, man. I think it's a good mock, but um, we'll see um how what happens on Thursday. I'm really excited for that, and I think there's gonna be a good look and it's gonna be a good time. So uh, we'll see how that shakes out, man. So um, that's gonna wrap up our NFL segment. Stay tuned for Lakers locker rooms, Lockdown Davis podcast. Back with Lakers locker room is the Lockdown Divas podcast. I'm your host, Coach Defense. Oh man, Lakers locker room. We back in the building. Uh, <laughs> Anthony Davis is back, ladies and gentlemen. He's back uh, in limited fashion. Uh, we had three games this past week, and uh, he played in all three. Uh, limited fashion. He didn't play significant minutes until the last game last night against the Magic. Um, but you know, Frank's vocal hasn't won a minutes restriction, trying to work him back into shape and things of that nature. Um, it was a little bit of a rough road. I mean, I, I'm not going to say and lie. It's a little bit of a rough road in this past uh, week's games. We had the Mavs twice uh, in back-to-back consecutive games. You know, one back-to-back nights, but it was consecutive games. 
and uh, we didn't fare too well. I mean, we competed hard. We competed hard in both games, but um, didn't result in the victories for us. The local Dodgers definitely was a matchup problem for us, and we definitely uh, didn't fare well against him in his tear right now. He's definitely on a high uh, pitch tear and trying to you know build his team into his play in his playoff form. So, uh, you know, he gave us thirty plus in both games. So. You know, and then he really took over in the full court in both games, and that was pretty much the issue and pretty much the difference in both games. Again, like I said, he didn't play much. Um, uh, KCP went out with an ankle injury um, in the start of the first game, I want to say. Uh, he didn't play in the second, uh, so that was a bit of a difference maker as well. But uh, overall, I'm I'm really impressed, and I'm going to talk about this in a minute. I'm really impressed about uh, what the role players have honestly and truly done in the stretch that we've when the ADM LeBron has been gone. And I really feel like that's a confidence booster for them. And it's going to build into something special when we're at full strength. So we definitely need to start to piece things together. Uh, LeBron is clearly close to his return. I think that uh, we will, he will be, if I had to guess, I think he, by the weekend he'll be on the court uh, in limited fashion. I think he'll work his way back in as well in the next few games. And we got five games on the docket coming up. We got the, uh, a magic again. We got the Wizards. We got the Kings and the uh, Raptors and the Nuggets. Uh, and I believe that's the accurate depiction. I might have captured the Nuggets game. Not the, the Nuggets game uh, is the last game of, of the particular stretch of weak games. But I think that uh, overall, those are all winnable games. And uh, quicker LeBron gets still back on the court, the better. In that regard, I think that was the is the missing piece to allow us to start to, you know, win games at a higher clip. And uh, and Anthony Davis' numbers going back up. That's going to be a good one as well. Yeah, so, I, yeah, I had it I had it, I had it, slightly off. Um, Yeah, so we have, we had the Magic. We had the Magic um, Monday night. Yeah, the Magic Monday night. So, so, like I said, I think we had at least four to five games this week. Yeah, I'm, I'm going to verify it, but... Overall, I, I think that um, in this stretch of games, and I mean, <laughs> I, I, I'm I'm gonna say this this way and be honest. Now, all these teams that we play are teams that can spoil it for you. The Wizards are playing really good basketball right now. The Kings are always a tough out. The Raptors are a tough out as well. They good defensively, and the Nuggets are a tough out. They, they're probably the best team that we're gonna face in this stretch of games. But I mean, it, again, it, it really just depends on who's on the floor and how many minutes AD plays. You know, overall, but I think I I think our team is starting to round in the form uh, when it comes down to us having uh, us having a shot at you know winning some consecutive games here before we hit the playoffs. So yeah, I, they did count the Magic game twice. So we had the Wizards uh, on Wednesday, we got the Kings on Friday, and we got the uh, Raptors on Sunday, and then we got the Nuggets on a Monday. So yeah, and then we then we then the Clippers come uh, go to Clippers on Thursday. But yeah. So we got four games stretched. And I think by Friday, maybe LeBron may be on the court for Sacramento because uh, we'll be back home as well um, in, in LA. So we play the Wizards on Wednesday night. When I'm, it sucks because I'm near DC and I really wish, you know, COVID wasn't really still rampant. I really wanted to go to that game, but, you know, maybe next year. But I will be watching it live on TV and see how well these Wizards have been playing and how, how much uh, we can improve with AD playing more minutes. And then I said, I think Brown will probably be out for this game. But I got a feeling he might play with Sacramento. Got a feeling he might play Sacramento. So, yeah, that would be a good one. And he'll be back for the Denver and the Clippers game. So, that's definitely good news. Definitely good news. So, yeah, we're looking forward to that. 
But overall, man, like I said, I mean, we had, you know, uh, AD played 31 minutes last night, so that was a good thing. He had some decent points. We finally got a W against the Magic, so we were one and two in his, ro- in his stretch of games. So, um, you know, we're starting to try to build him back up into a strong offensive force that we need. So that's good. KCP went out with an injury, but he's back. He played last night, so he played pretty decent. Like I said, LeBron's getting close to his return, so hopefully by the weekend he'll be on the court. And um, overall outlook for the games after, I guess we got 12, 11, 12 games left um, with hopefully maybe one more game we have to play without LeBron. So that'll be about 10 games or so that we have to play together. And I think that that is enough time for AD and Bron to really get into full strength and back on the court and be full tilt for the playoffs, one. And two, it really helped our role players blossom. I think Kuzma is a better player now. I think KCP has finally found his three-pointer. Caruso is really playing well defensively, although he went out with a back spasm injury in this game previously, but he's been playing well. I think Andre Drummond playing with AD has been a better player, and I think that's going to really, really help us, um, especially defensively and rebounding and things of that nature. I really feel like that's going to take the pressure off AD as well um, to have to rebound at a high clip, trying to get his legs back under him and really feel confidence in his, in his lift and his jump. That's going to be a good thing. So I and of course Montrezl Harold has been a really good uh, energy guy off the bench, and Dennis Schroeder. Dennis Schroeder is playing his way into a big payday. I really feel like he's a really good facilitator and a really good playmaker, and I think that all that company with the fact that you have two dominant one uh, A and one Bs and Bron and, and AD coming back, that makes for a hellish team. That makes for a hellish team, and I really feel like we will definitely rise to the top. Once playoff time gets here, as long as we're all healthy and on the court together, I think there was a blessing in disguise that they got hurt because that allowed for the role players to truly and honestly build their confidence and build their game to the point where they can play and be effective when and don't and AD and Bruno have to do every single thing, which makes for a really problematic matchup for a lot of teams. A lot of teams. If your role players are playing really good and can put up, you know, 10, 12, 20 points. Uh, in, in a supporting role, and LeBron AD can do that normal thing, that's that's going to equal a lot of W's. So look out for that, man. But I'm definitely looking for us to hopefully take all these games in this next stretch, these next four games, we can take all these games and start to build momentum towards the playoffs. And these last 10 to 12, we can go like, you know, 8 and, and 4, 10 and 2. You know, I think that it will really be a great momentum boost going into the playoffs. So let's look out for it, man. Let's look out for it this week. I'll be tuned into that Wizards game, hot and heavy. Let's gonna wrap up Lakers locker room, man. Stay tuned for the fourth quarter closeout. It's Lockdown Lakers podcast. Back with the fourth quarter closeout of the Lockdown Davis Podcast. I've been your host, Coach Defense. As always, each and every Tuesday, 10 a.m., YouTube, Google Podcasts, Spotify, Anchor, or wherever you get your podcast from, we go live each and every Tuesday. 
uh, Sports Talk with Coach and Kurt, twitch.tv forward slash Lockdown Even Sports, 9 p.m. each and every Saturday, Eastern Standard Time. Replay for that goes on YouTube on 11 a.m. on Mondays. Check that out if you haven't. Been really good segments, really good uh, special guests we've been having on that show as well. So we definitely appreciate your viewership there as well. Uh, and let's get into the fourth quarter closeout, man. Let's give out our awards for Breakout Player of the Week, Lockdown Defender of the Week, and Big Dummy of the Week. And we even got a Black Excellence of the Week, so we're going to get into that as well. So let's get it, man. Let's do it. All right, so uh, we got a we got a repeat offender here in, in lockdown defense. We'll get into that in a minute. Over breakout player of the week, we got Luka Doncic. Luka Doncic over the course of the past week in four over four games averaged twenty five point five points a game, eight point five rebounds, and nine point five assists per game. I mean, he really flirted with a triple double for the whole week. It's amazing, man. It's amazing numbers for Luka Doncic, and he's a dark horse. Uh, in, in my opinion, to get some MVP votes uh, coming here in the latter part of the season. So look out for him. I don't think he'll win it, but I think he'll get some votes. Uh, next up is Bradley Bill. Bradley Bill has been on a tear here lately, scoring-wise. Uh, 35 points a game in the last four. I mean, what can you say about it? 35 points over the last week, in the last four games. 35 points. 6.3 rebounds a game, 2.7 assists per game. So got to give Bradley credit for being an offensive juggernaut in the last week. Uh, lockdown defender of the week. Like I so said, we had a repeat offender in Daniel Gafford, or a former, uh, well, not a former team, but a current teammate of Bradley Bills. Uh, he pulled in 26 rebounds this week, 10 blocks and five steals. Uh, we got a, a person that's come back to the lockdown defender of the week uh, ranks in Jacob Polite from the Spurs. He pulled down 31 rebounds over the course of the week, uh, two steals and 14 blocks. So Daniel had 26 rebounds, 10 blocks, five steals. Jacob had 31 rebounds, two steals, and 14 blocks. So, got to give them credit, man, for being lockdown defenders of the week as well. So, to Luca, Bradley, Jacob, and Daniel, you get the breakout player of the week and lockdown defender of the week. Shouts out to y'all. <laughs> On to Big Dummy of the Week. <sighs> so, no surprise, it goes to Brett Favre for his ignorant and divisive comments he made this week about the Derek Chauvin case and uh, how he don't feel that George, he didn't mean to kill George Floyd, which is completely in total dog whistle to his uh, Republican and white supremacist uh, supporters. Uh, so yeah, clearly we don't have to explain much in this regard. Clearly Brett Favre, you are the big dummy of the week. And in the words of Charlamagne to God, shut the F up forever. Cause you just don't know what to say out your mouth. And why do you have a platform? If you're just going to, spew that type of racist rhetoric and and just completely and utterly disrespectful because you should have the utmost respect for people that have protected you on the field of battle and football field over these years of your hall of fame s career so you my friend are definitely in the wrong here and you definitely need uh to be knocked down off that high horse that you sit on in your white privilege so so you brett Favre, you get the big dummy of the week award you big dummy so wrap it up. Let's give a Black Excellence Award a week, a, a Black Excellence of the Week award to Dwayne Wade. Dwayne Wade in the last couple of weeks has purchased a stake in the Utah Jazz, and he's a minority owner of that particular organization now, as of being a retired NBA player. And I think that's going to lead into uh, more and more uh, NBA players getting into the realm of ownership, and I think that may lead ultimately to uh, former players here coming in soon as being a, a conglomerate group to owning a majority owners of NBA team when it becomes available to for sale. So I definitely 
uh, appreciate Dwayne Wade's moves and him getting in his foot wet uh, as far as being uh owner and understanding what organization ends out would be. So he knows what the blueprint will be when it's time to own a team from the majority perspective. So got to give Dwayne Wade credit for being a black analyst of the week. Shouts out to Dwayne Wade, man. So that's going to wrap it up, man. This has been the Lockdown Divas Podcast, episode 37. We appreciate your viewership. And as always, we'll be back here next Tuesday as well, recapping the draft, talking about what's been hot and heavy in the NFL and the NBA like. So stay tuned for that. In the meantime, in between time, I'm your man, Coach Defense. Step up and lock it down.